The follow-up is simple. Ask a question, listen to the answer, then follow up. I'm your host, Noah Kozlov. Enjoy. The follow-up today is with Dr. Jason Altman, my former roommate, board-certified plastic surgeon, partner at the Plastic Surgery Institute of Miami, and owner and director of the Doctors Plastic Surgery in New York City and Chicago. Jay, how do you handle the balance between plastic surgery as a business and the ethics that come along with plastic surgery? It's an interesting, it's an interesting question. It's a, it's a big part of, of the practice of plastic surgery, right? It's, we're doctors, but it's very different than other medicine when you're in the aesthetic realm of plastic surgery in that it's completely elective. Nobody needs what I do. So I feel that they need what I do, but to the greater medical world and to the whole purview of ethics in general, life would go on without a nose job or, or breast enhancement. Um, but to the individual, it may feel like a necessity. The, the role of the plastic surgeon in navigating that conundrum, I think, is first um, ensuring that the patient is of you know, proper sound mind and body to, to make the decisions to assess the risks and benefits for them as an individual of having that surgery um, from my side, obviously they're 18, they're stable, both medically and, and emotionally, um, trying to assess what their expectations are of this procedure. Um, I don't want someone that thinks this procedure is going to do anything beyond change the way they look. It's not going to get them a job. It's not going to get them a husband or a wife. It's not going to, it will make them happier. Hopefully, um, it will improve their quality of life, but there is a role of psychology in, in choosing who an appropriate patient is and, you have to remember that despite the fact you're trying to make a living by hoping this patient chooses to have surgery with you. So how do you go about assessing that? That's the art of our consultation, right? Every patient that has surgery will meet with me at least once, hopefully twice. Um, typically there's conversations before that as well over the phone or over email. Um, and, and you have to ask pointed questions. You have to ask them what their expectations are. You have to spend enough time making sure they understand that this is a surgical procedure that like anything in life, there are risks with it, that they have a firm grasp of what those are uh, before they make their decision. Um, in my practice, and, and I hope most plastic surgeons practice, we have certain limits that we set. You know, we don't do same day surgery, meaning someone can't come in and meet with me about a nose job and then decide to have surgery that day. They need to go home and think about it. We need to do medical tests to make sure they're safe to undergo anesthesia. Um, and then some of it is, is intuition, you know, sort of trying to understand what, what they're going to expect to change in their life when they're done with this surgery. So when you talk about having these conversations with potential patients once or twice beforehand, and then again, during the recovery process, a conversation of another type, I'm always fascinated by doctor's bedside manner. And I've talked to a lot of doctors, friends, family, and you don't learn that in medical school. How did you develop your own? That's a great question, Noah, and, and bedside manner is something that always fascinated me, and I was always interested in, not just in terms of developing my own, but in understanding how the medical profession and the medical education system can do a better job, not just of teaching it, but of, of selecting the, the right candidates um, that have it, because you can certainly teach it, but there is some level of inherent ability in being able to communicate comfortably with other people. And 
for better or worse, the medical education system does a horrible job of, of pre-selecting that in the sense that getting into medical school is really a papers and numbers based decision. It's based on grades and extracurricular activities and performance on exams, um, which play a much larger role in their decision-making process than the brief interview you may or may not have with the school before they decide to offer you uh, an acceptance there. So I think that's the first step is there probably needs to be a better way to screen for it. And then once, once there, there definitely needs to be a better way to teach it. I know in my medical school, maybe an hour of our total four-year education was spent on trying to improve um, or teach bedside management. There's, there's some effort being put into it, but I don't think um, as a field, we possess much knowledge, um, or at least not 20 years ago when I was there, 15 years ago when I was there, um, in terms of how to teach that. Um, that's interpersonal skills and, and interpersonal communication. And that's something that develops from, from early childhood. Um, so I think it needs to be better for sure. There's some doctors that are great at it um, and certainly others that aren't. I think the rigors of, of medical education and, and getting accepted to medical school oftentimes select for people that may not be great at that. They may be more bookish. Um, they may be more um, educationally forward as opposed to socially forward. And I think the art of practicing good medicine in plastic surgery or any field is finding that balance of, of both academic skills and social skills. How did all that experience you had traveling the world doing plastic surgery of you know, really not, well, it is aesthetic, but life-changing and life-saving plastic surgeries all over the world. How did that help develop you into the, the doctor and, and person that you are now? Um, so those were life-changing experiences for sure. You know, I spent, I spent a year um, traveling on various mission trips to various countries around the world doing uh, voluntary reconstructive surgeon with charity organizations. And um, it's a pretty amazing experience on a number of levels. The first is you, you sort of get an intimate view uh, into the lives of people that have a very, very different set of priorities than the patients you deal with back here in the United States in general, and, and more specifically those seeking cosmetic plastic surgery here in the States. So it, it does a great job of putting things in perspective. Uh, the flip side of that is I, I struggled a lot during those trips in the sense that I would I would do this incredible life-altering work um, on these trips, and then I would come home and do a, my cosmetic practice. I would do breast implants and liposuction and, and nose shots, and I, I had a long uh, internal struggle in terms of the value of what I was doing here uh, versus there, where I possessed a skill set, and I could do amazing things with it, or I could do what seemed to me at the time to be much more superficial and things with it. And I found that difficult to balance. Um, but what, what helped me a lot was I finally came to terms with if I'm fixing a cleft lip on a patient um, or I am fixing what a patient considers to be an ugly nose, the impact on that individual's life through their own eyes is almost the same in the sense that we're, we're providing them with, with self-esteem, internal confidence that allows them to face their world um, more strongly and more confident, uh, better prepared to interact uh, and, and be successful. And that helped me a lot in, in terms of accepting what I did as important, uh, watching patients both here and away sort of grow and change emotionally as a result of, of their surgeries and as a result of feeling more confident in how they looked. 
what what was a day and and let me know what where you were and what a day was like doing that uh the trips were amazing they were all very different and yet structurally very similar um the types of surgeries we were doing really varied based on the location um in china peru um those trips were very much cleft lip and palate based um in vietnam there was a lot of hand and eye surgery reconstruction um in india that was one of the most difficult trips there there was a lot of burn surgery um one of the things, unfortunately, we find is that burn injuries and women's rights go hand in hand in a lot of these developing nations, um, in nations where women don't have a lot of rights and access to education. They're often forced to spend most of their life in the home, cooking over open fire, open flames, and, and that results in a lot of burn. Um, so the day was um, a typical day would start. The first two days of the trip were um, done screening patients to see who was able to undergo surgery and who were good candidates, who were people we could help. So the community would line up a couple hundred patients and the three doctors on the trip would sit and interview and examine all of them. Um, after the end of those two days, we would try to fit as many of those candidates as we could onto our schedule for the following two weeks. And the rest of the time was spent essentially operating nonstop. Start at seven in the morning and finish somewhere around seven at night, um, trying to do as many surgeries as we safely could in a day between the three surgeons. And ideally, in, in those um, eight operative days that we had, we could get between one and 200 surgeries done. Wow. And these people would line up and come from all over, from you know, hundreds of miles away? Yep, hundreds of miles. And it would depend, on, on again, on the infrastructure of the country we were in. Some countries did a great job of providing transportation for these people to bring them to us. In other countries, patients literally walked for days or weeks on end to get to us. Um, for better or worse, the organization I worked with had a great relationship um, internally with local physicians and hospitals, so they were able to get the word out uh, well in advance of us arriving so that we could maximize our exposure to as many patients as possible. Dr. Jason Altman. Jay, good talking to you. Thanks, buddy. My pleasure, Noah. Anytime I get a chance to hang out with you on the phone is a good one for me. If you have the stomach for it, and you'll understand if you look, follow Jay on Instagram at dr.altman, so dr.altman, A-L-T-M-A-N, and you can watch him perform surgery. I can't handle it, but if you can, it's fascinating. I lived with Jay and his now wife almost 15 years ago in New York City, and I pride myself on being able to read people and judge character very quickly. They are two of the most wonderful people. They made me feel like family, and it's all genuine. So check out Jay's Instagram page, dr.altman, D-R.A-L-T-M-A-N. He replies to all messages personally, so you can continue this conversation with him there and with me on Twitter and Facebook, at Noah Kozlov, C-O-S-L-O-V. Also, doctorsplasticsurgery.com in New York City and Chicago, plus the Plastic Surgery Institute of Miami, PSIMiami.com. And just like on his site, where the five-star reviews are abundant, let's make the podcast page on iTunes feel the same way. Please click five-star rating for the follow-up and leave a quick review. Thanks for taking the time to join us on The Follow-Up. The Follow-Up is a production of Vocal. For more information and more programming, please visit vocalnow.com. That's V-O-K-A-L-N-O-W. 
www.thepowerfulpodcast.com. 